0: This is a strategist episode ten sixteen. My name is Zane Belger. With me, as always, Stephen Carter, Corey Hogan, guys. I am back. I am ready. I'm ready to talk. Stephen Carter, how are you doing?
1: Doing better with you here, Zane. You Welcome know, back, we, Zane.
0: Yeah. Yeah. You know, what, what did you guys get up to yesterday? You recorded an episode yesterday. I did. We. I have I'm heard. Sure. You listened to it,
2: I'm sure. I did yeah. not listen
0: to it. I've listened to a grand total of zero episodes. Oh,
2: Zane. You always say that, but you listen. You must I listen. You I listen did not and listen. then you send mean words to us about what a shit episode it is.
1: Yeah. I didn't uh, respond well to your criticisms. Uh, what, no. what, t-
0: I, I, tell the people. Tell the people. It's, it's, been... hol- it's, it's holiday season, Corey. We need to sell more Patreon subscriptions. <laughs> tell the people what quality quant- content they, they, they missed out on yesterday. Lay it on them.
1: First of all, we launched the thirty-five days of strategists for Christmas. Thirty-five okay. days of strategists Christmas. Now, and
2: admittedly, I mean, we, did it to a, we did it to an audience that already all owns Patreon. No, we
1: discussed that yesterday. They don't all own it. <laughs> if they all owned it, then this wouldn't be a problem. <laughs> the problem wait, what is,
0: wait—is there piracy going on? What if fifty
1: percent of the people who download an episode, yeah, of of the strategists on Patreon, yes. are actual Patreon subscribers? The other 50% are assholes. Now, I'm not precluding the first 50% <laughs> from being assholes as well. But they're not paying for the content saying. How do they get the content then? We're because assuming. Somebody shares that the link. They yeah. share the fucking link.
0: I'm sorry, yeah. that's how this works. There's just a link you get and you could share it around.
2: It's Actually, specific to you. It's like a it's like a personalized link. But, you but know, it doesn't maybe stop you're...
0: me from sharing it with other people. <laughs>
2: That seems like a real flaw in the okay. system. You know what? I think we're telling a little bit too much about how to game the system here at the start. Yeah, Carter,
0: what do you, you, what do you, what ta- you? Yeah. I, I'm, I'm going to stop paying. <laughs> What's going on, Carter? I, I don't know. I had to that there was a way to just get, get the Patreon episodes. This seems like this seems like the opposite of a sales pitch. Now, Carter, I have discovered something very different. But tell the people who would be willing to pay, uh, for the others who are not paying, Corey, what they missed out on yesterday.
2: Well, uh, gladly because it looks like Stephen Carter crashed, and it's probably <laughs> <laughs> at this point it's a ritual rebooting. At this point, at this point,
0: I can't tell. I uh, yeah. Can't so tell. we
2: um, we decided to go deep into Twitter. Right? We talked a bit about Twitter, and there was which a has bit become of a... an obsession of yours. Just to be clear, yeah, you and um, rightly so because it's the best thing on television. But we, um, I, you know, what I did is I put on my Zane Valgie hat which yep. is is a beanie like that, yep. like you're wearing yep. right now. Yep. And I said, I'm going to draw you a picture. It's October 25th, and um, Elon Musk wants to talk to you, Stephen Carter, strategist, about how he can get done all of the things he's done, but in a less fucky way, right? Like, how, how does this all get done? And can I just say, if there was, and,
0: and I know we make a lot of fun of Carter on the show, and he's not here, if there was a strategist that Elon Musk would call, Carter might be it. I feel like there's a lot of (laughs) strange alignment. Uh, I feel like, you know, that's one of those situations where the hypothetical isn't so hypothetical. If Carter was in the Rolodex, I think he'd get a call. But yes, okay. So
2: you played played God Mode, which is generally my uh, MO on the show. And you asked Carter to do what? I asked him to build a strategy as to how Elon Musk could do the same things, like still change Twitter fundamentally, still maybe even reduce the size of the workforce.
0: That's not bad. I like that. Yeah.
2: But... Uh, how would he recommend that it all get done? And I, I jumped in too, because... You he know, needed help.
0: Yeah. <laughs> he, he needed, needed some, help. some help. He needed he some help, some of course. He had some shaky record.
2: answers, and they needed to be cleaned up a bit, which no, is the I'm, role I, that I normally play. I'm
0: glad you did. Uh, he, he's still not back, uh, which which makes this front end of the show the same every single time, Corey. It's kind of a bit of a formula, <laughs> which is we try to kill more time now that he isn't here to say something absolutely outlandish uh, and try to get himself canceled. I suspect he will be
2: back soon. Uh, yeah, that every, being said, the strategy is thirty five days of Christmas. What what is this? The strategy thirty five days of Christmas is we just tell you to purchase uh, for yourself and your loved one. Yes, a subscription to Patreon, six dollars. Okay. Part yourself with six dollars. Buy it also for the person who is stealing it, and and uh, and yes, yeah, Stephen Carter's back. You know, and so he can say, he can finish the rest of my thought. He knows exactly where I was. Exactly. Carter, go ahead, please.
1: If you if you uh, buy that uh, extra subscription. I can probably buy an extra computer, which would enable me to to sit (laughs) through the beginning and the middle and the end of our pitch. So
0: That's fine. We're used to it. It, That actually works way better when you're not there in the middle. Hey, Carter, uh, before we get going, uh, World Cup predictions. Uh, I I just want to get that on the record. The World Cup has now officially begun in in Qatar. Uh, Your World Cup predictions for you, Carter, and then Corey, I'm coming to you next.
1: Well, I mean, it's got to be France, right? I mean, France is the the way everybody is leaning. uh, So I'm big on the French. Now, I know that there's others that in the tournament, like Brazil, uh, that are heavily favored, but uh, Germany is going to be my pick this year because Belgium <laughs> looks great. And uh, I think that you can't put it past uh, the Croats. The Croats are probably going to pull it off. So I'm pretty excited about it. England is really going to be the team to beat in this year's uh, <laughs> World Cup.
2: Shut the fuck-up card. Corey, World Cup picks. Well, what do you, What do you got for us? Uh, I, I think that everything Stephen Carter said was wrong. So the opposite of everything that he said there. Perfect. So the correct answer.
1: (laughs) Oh, that means it's time for a new segment. Okay.
0: (laughs) Uh, the correct answer, of course, was BC United. Let's move it on to our first segment. (laughs) Our first segment, Smile, You're on Candid Camera. Guys, I don't think we had a chance to discuss this unless I'm, 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 I'm having, uh, uh, an episode here, but we have to talk about the Xi Jinping, Justin Trudeau uh, episode. Can I call it the episode? The, 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 uh, the pull aside that they had, the two leaders um, were in Bali for an international conference with a G20 summit, I believe, or in Indonesia, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, Xi chatted with Trudeau uh, in, in, in Mandarin, While a translator um, was translating about a leaked discussion, it was clear that she looked very upset with Justin Trudeau. And then Trudeau, at the end of this 20, 30 second um, lecture that he was getting, uh, said, you know, in Canada, we believe in democracy. A very tense moment, a very, Corey, if I can say, novel moment, at least on the international stage. What did you see when you saw that particular clip of those two world leaders Uh, Our world leader in Justin Trudeau and arguably uh, the most powerful world leader, one might argue, outside of the United States, Chinese leader Xi Jinping uh, in that particular clip.
2: Well, I saw dressing down and I saw a very intentional action taken. Hmm. It was a situation where um, all of a sudden we were reminded of a power dynamic that often goes unspoken. And, And let's be clear. I mean, it's not as though Xi doesn't have a bit of a point in that a private conversation with the prime minister all of a sudden became leaked yes. and uh, and went out to, to the Canadian press and went on to the broader public. Now, it's not as though our prime minister doesn't have a point. We don't govern in the dark. This is a democracy. So when something happens, there is kind of a general expectation that we talk about it. Not always true in matters of statecraft, though. Uh, but what we what we fundamentally saw was a very powerful world leader, a leader of a country of 1.2 billion people, leader of the second largest economy in the world, um, very intentionally take our prime minister to task for, for what occurred there. And it was a signal. I, you know, I think it was as much about future interactions as it was the past interaction. It was saying this is not something I'm going to put up with. Um, I don't know what kind of games you're playing here, but those games don't work for me not giving G a pass. I'm not saying it's appropriate for him mm. to threaten the Canadian mm. prime minister, but it was, it was quite clearly an act of state's craft, not peak. Like he was, he was intentionally sending a diplomatic signal about what his expectations were going forward. He was not, he was not, uh, you know, flying off the handle because he lost control of himself. That, much, that was pretty clear to me, or, or at least that's what I got out of it because it was a controlled peevishness, right? It wasn't somebody who looked like they had just sort of lost their faculties. Carter, what did you see from
0: our, our Prime Minister? You know, many are saying that this is kind of a what Corey has called previous things on on this podcast, the Rorschach test, right? Where you, if you wanted to see a defiant, positive, uh, upstanding, democratic defender in Justin Trudeau, you saw that. Or if you wanted to see a strident dressing down of a Prime Minister of a country uh disproportionately smaller than China, you saw that. In your in your take, what, what did you see, Stephen Carter? Because I, there's a strategy question here I want to talk about what leaders can do in moments like this. But give it to me on the baseline. What did you see?
1: Well I can't believe that she did it to begin with. Um I think Really? Oh you know, yeah, because I think that you you talk about the disproportionate size, right? Canada and China, you know, China's the second largest economy in the world. It has um you know ambitions to dominate uh around the world and he's taking the time to um to scold this pissant uh prime minister that's been around for almost as long as she has and instead uh of folding under that pressure the prime minister just looks at him and stares right in his eyes and just takes whatever beating is, is coming his way and actually pushes back and says and and, and doesn't accept the criticism i mean as much as the the right is uh, you know making a case to to Corey's earlier point about you know this being a Rorschach test. I think it's actually um, it's valuable to see Justin Trudeau standing up for Canada and Canadian principles. Mm. I think that it it did play. Um, if if we lived in any other time except the the time right now where everything is political and everything must be interpreted in the left you know my team or the other team kind of zeitgeist. I think that this would have been a really positive interaction for Canada. Forget about for Trudeau. Forget mm. about for the Liberals. This was a positive interaction for Canada to stand up to a bully, and this bully is someone that we've seen bullying across, you know, around the world uh, more and more. Um, so being able to stand up to China, as we stood up to Russia, uh, as we will, you know, stand up against those that try and oppress others, is, uh, is was really good. On Trudeau, I thought it was excellent.
0: Carter, to be clear, before I go to Corey on this, are you saying that in any other era, this v- would have been viewed as a net positive, home run style moment for the leader of the country, but it is not in this one? Am I understanding you and yeah, hearing you correctly? I
1: think that this is the the challenge. I think that um, I think that these are the 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 problem that we have is that we've made everything so political that even when overseas, uh, even you know the prime minister doesn't have our whole uh, uh, wholehearted support. It used to be that when the prime minister was low, you know, domestic, the prime minister would be attacked. The prime minister could be looked at as a, you know, in our through our partisan lens. But when the prime minister would go across to a different country, they would have our wholehearted support, and that's gone away. That's not there for us because we've allowed partisanship uh, to define outcomes. And I think that it's really sad because Canadians. Uh, should be aware that China is uh, playing in other, in, in other elections. China's trying to influence uh, world politics. Trying, China's trying to bring the world to them and they're being very, very successful. And it's up to democracies like Canada, uh, especially in light of the United States being a little weakened, or a lot weakened depending on the Trump debacle, um, that we have to stand strong for democracy. And Justin Trudeau did that.
0: Corey, do you see it that way that that in any other era this would have been viewed domestically as a unifying holy shit rpm hit it out of the park good for him moment? No. Oh, um hmm. I do
2: I do think there is something to the idea that uh, it so there was this uh Republican senator uh in the United States just after World War II, Arthur Vandenberg I think was his name. And he gave us the phrase politics stops at the water's edge. And the idea was that the country should present a united front in foreign affairs. So mm-hmm. Democrat, Republican, all American when it gets down to it. And you've got to trump it and you've got to support American interests overseas. And there's got to be that united front in in areas of foreign affairs so that you're not giving daylight that your opponents can then kind of get their fingers into and pull at. Reality has always been a little different. I mean, it's not as though we've failed to criticize uh, opposition or government on foreign affairs in the past. It's, it's just a reality that there have always been differing views as to how foreign affairs should be conducted. And and some of the big fulcrums of democratic politics over the past 200 years have hinged on them. You think about the United States, this idea that politics stops at the water's edge, the idea of do you support France in revolution? Anybody who's seen the the fucking, you know, Hamilton knows that that was an area of contention to the Mm. early Americans. Like since day one, this has actually not been the case, but there is something to be said for not wanting to weaken your country overall by taking petty political games into overseas conversations. And that's really, I think where this Rorschach test stuff comes in. And I think even what Stephen was, was talking about there in terms of premiers or the prime minister seemed to do fine there. And, and it's, it's kind of, it's just partisan attacks, and are those partisan attacks potentially weakening us? Now, I'll tell you this, though. You can judge politicians by the situations they find themselves in, and you can judge them by how they react to them. Mm. And I give Justin Trudeau very low marks for the situation he found himself in, because it was a situation of our making. He could have had that same conversation with the media a day later when he wasn't seeing g the next day. And it could have had the same effect with domestic audiences, right? He could have just kept it buttoned down uh, for a couple more days of international conference. But when you talk about the situation he then found himself in, where he, you know, again, it's a Rorschach test, but in my opinion, he looked coolly at the Chinese premier and he said, well, basically I disagree, or that's not how we do things in Canada. Um, I give him fine marks for that. What did we want from our prime minister? The exercise I'd almost throw back at you is what would you want Justin Trudeau to do in that moment uh, that's where he would have would have had kind of like a better outcome than the one that he got?
0: Mm-hmm. I, that's the exercise I want to engage in in a second. But I also just want to mention that this segment, of course, brought to us by Flair Airlines. Uh, Flair Airlines, we also stop at the water's edge. Not- uh, Carter... <laughs> <laughs> No, but why yeah. would they go over water? It's just it's the insurance doesn't cover it. Yeah, thank That's, you. This is thank the read they're giving. Me. This is the read they've given me. Carter. What, what skill was that? There was some skill involved in that. Like what I'm really intrigued about is there's there's obviously listen. There's complicated politics here, right? Like there's the whole concept of Chinese infiltration and in MP offices, the, uh, you know, crippling of democracy, the broader democratic conversation. But Justin Trudeau must have known the camera was on. This is why the, you know, segment is about the candid camera, right? G clearly knew the camera was on, right? One had an agenda and other, to Corey's point, had to react to that agenda. I think that much is pretty much clear. I don't think that's, you know, debated. Yeah. Tell me what skill that was that Justin Trudeau presented there. Was that just the improv skill? Was that the political bone? Like, tell me what that is. Is that coached into a leader? Is that taught? Do you exercise that? In the I'm just trying to Think about, you know, what's, what's the teachable strategic skill there? And one of the, my, my favorite parts of that video when you watch at the end is not exactly what Trudeau said, but how he walked away, uh, kind of knowing that this was a, a moment that needed a, a conclusion and a finality. There's almost like a theater element to it. And you can almost see, I believe it's Katie. You can almost kind of see Katie also knowing that the camera is on and looking side by side as the prime minister walks away. Talk to me about what we saw there from the theater aspect, from the improv aspect, from the aspects of political, as Corey calls it, statecraft, but stagecraft in some ways, despite the fact this is not on a stage and a pull aside.
1: It's one of the oldest improv games in the book, and it's a status game. And the status game is to try and have higher status than the person who's opposite you in the scene. And in the games, oh. what you do is you take the status and you try and elevate it or, or lower it through the course of the of the game. So in a in a true status game, you would play it so that uh, your status, Zane and I, you and I are in the scene. Zane, your status is going to start off super low. Wait, is this an actual improv game? This is an actual improv game. This is definitely okay. something that he has done before. And so what he's able to do... <laughs> wait, wait. Okay, so, so
0: let's start again, uh, just so I could capture it. Okay, okay. Start, okay. start one more time with this actual game.
1: So the actual game is to try and make yourself higher or lower status using the physicality and your voice and your eye and your presence so that you are trying to actually change your status through the course of a scene. So the traditional way of doing uh-huh. it is you start as low status, I start as high status. And then by the end of the scene, we will have reversed ourselves. You'll be the high status person and I'll be the low status person. And of course, comedy ensues. But where that becomes valuable, if you're uh, approached with someone who's, who's, who's trying to bully you or trying to take a high status position is you actually know the physicality of a high status positioning, you know, to hold eye, you know, to hold uh, eye contact, to lean in, to yep. be taller, to be physically, you know, the stature that was presented, to be ramrod straight. Those are the types of things that, that Justin Trudeau brought into this, either instinctually or arguably from actually playing a status from playing a series of status games as part of of his drama dramatic teaching, and I will tell you that is something that i you have could learned. see that
0: by the way you could you could actually see
1: that in that in that clip well oh, absolutely that was a status game on steroids that was an actual game so interesting from um well I learned it from uh keith johnson the the founder of theater sports so
0: yeah 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 yeah. Like a legend in the in this in this domain, yeah. like a real legend. But Carter, before I come to you, Corey, uh, you were saying you've you've learned this yourself. Talk to me about this. I'm I'm fascinated by this.
1: Well, I mean, it's no secret that Corey and I dominate you, right? And the reason
2: <laughs> what I love is he brought me in on his side. I you know, here. right? So yeah. I agree because, with him because
1: why? Yeah, it's Just because status, right? <laughs> Corey and so. The status game is to, is to or, you know, the status idea is to put oneself above the other, right? And to do that, like, there's a lot of people who have inherent status. You know, we've, we've chatted with a lot of them. There's another, a lot of other people who have inherently low status. And, you know, it does not matter in terms of leadership. This is not a leadership skill. But some people have mm. high status, some people have low status. And each one can be used to generate outcomes from people that you're chatting with.
0: Wait, if it's not a leadership skill, what sort of skill would you define it as?
1: I would just simply discuss. Like some people will present as low status to be disarming, right? So, so mm. you may meet somebody who's <clears throat> incredibly powerful in real life, but they present themselves as low status just to be disarming, and people don't know exactly what to make of them because that person or is how now to deal with them That's, low we've status, seen that. yeah, right? And so, how am I supposed to treat them? How am I supposed to interact with them? Other people will put on an air. You know, you'll you'll see this in local politics. You go and meet with a local politician and this person's just been elected as counselor for, I don't know, Ward seven. And they're just sitting there and they're (laughs) playing with their pencil, (laughs) trying to show themselves. Well, that one, you know, and they'll talk all the way through the meeting because they have all the thoughts and all the information. And we've seen these people, we've met with these people. We know exactly who they are. And they're just playing a status game with us where they're trying to show us their high status. Ironically, that high status is then interpreted as low status for, by us. So both statuses can be used as a leadership or lack of leadership, depending on how they're utilized. So in my mind, Trudeau used his high status game to elevate himself into um, in the eyes of uh, of she uh, and and that to me was um, a pretty good use of uh, some theater sports technique.
0: Corey, I just want to get your, your reflections on that. I mean, Carter clearly seemed to have a treasure trove of information yeah. on what I thought was a flyer of a question. <laughs> but I'm curious to hear your reactions to this. It does check out. Like, you could see, like, even in the physicality of Trudeau in how he leaned in, almost like he knew that he was armed with a response, that quiet confidence. You could kind of see that, like, you know, he knew the camera was on, that this was a moment that could make or break him, or at the very least... He'd have to be neutral on it; that he couldn't lose this moment. So there's some of those elements that Carter's teased out that you could see. But your thoughts to, to Carter's sort of positioning here on high status, low status, and in your mind, did Trudeau kind of do a good enough job to neutralize the situation?
2: Yeah, I I wouldn't have gone to improv because I don't have the background. Stephen does super interesting, and I think it is an example of what we've talked about in the past that often what we're looking for in politicians is not. Policy smarts. It's not the ability to mm. command in a mm-hmm. boardroom, but it's the ability to present. And this was a good example of somebody leaning into a bag of tricks and presenting. Yeah, I would have probably used a metaphor like junkyard dogs. You know, everybody's jockeying and trying to show that there's they're the person who's in charge here. They're they're the person uh, commanding the 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 situation. And and you talk about physicality. Uh, can I just say like the one advantage our prime minister absolutely carried into that above and beyond any improv training is like he is physically much more imposing yeah. than she. Mm. So uh, he does not need to do more than stand his ground, you know, to, to look intimidating relative to him. You know, even leaning in almost becomes too much in some contexts, right? Because he's, he's big, he's tall. We know that he knows how to throw a punch just based on the way he... uh you know, boxed with Brazo. He's not, he's not a guy you're going to be able to physically intimidate. And I think if I was going to offer Mm. G some, some strategic advice, it's that he came in with kind of the energy of somebody who's, who's like trying to quote unquote, pick a fight. Right. And, and for the cameras, the prime minister ended up getting the upper hand because the prime minister had that sense of space that he was clearly not intimidated. The other thing is he has been prime minister for seven years. You mentioned off the top, he's been in his job almost as long as she has been in his. And um, that is that is a skill in its own right. That's a power in its own right. He's not, if this was his first year, if this was his first international conference, the risk of intimidation in at yeah. that moment would have been
1: higher. Way higher, yeah.
2: He's seen too much. He doesn't, you know, it's it's once you've gone around the sun a few times with a job like this, you're just not going to be struck by the same things that you were the first time around. So fascinating review on the improv thing. It makes me uh, want to hear uh, Stephen Carter's yes and take relative to Ukraine and NATO. But uh, yeah, I mean, we've got ourselves, a you know, like a, quite a powerful metaphor there. And I think the prime minister did OK. Carter, um, final
0: question here. And, and this is really the focus here was really about the, the, the pull aside and, and how you kind of strategize for this. How do you prepare for this? Have you ever had to strategize for this with a leader or around, and, and maybe even more broadly, how to prepare for when the camera's always on and how to perhaps, you know, take advantage of that moment? Uh, When knowing the cameras are on, you know, you can plan stagecraft and we'll talk about that in a second with our next segment in a highly produced way when you're giving a 20 minute television address, for example. But when it's a 15 second clip and the camera could be on, how does one prepare their principal? How does one prepare a politician for that? Because we know the world of presentation training. We know the world of delivering to a large room. We've talked about how to deliver to a room of 10. We've talked about how to be charismatic one-on-one. But how do you plan? How do you strategize in the unpredictable organic moments that actually might be disproportionately more important to your political career, or maybe even more defining to your political career, than all that formal training that
1: you have going into? It? Talk to me about that a bit, Carter. Well, you, you practice it. Just like anything else, you practice it. I mean, we used to practice gotcha interviews right and so you know one of the things with media training and so anybody who's done media training knows that you for the most part you're training for the sit downs right you're training for the yeah. the long form interview where you're going to you know be presenting this uh this information or or this positioning or whatever it may be and so you do your long form interview and you get that that person up to speed with uh your principal is going to be up to speed with what the questions are going to be and what the answers are when you go to that next level, when you're working with a politician for quite some time, you're now working on the gotcha interviews, the ones where you're exiting and coming in and out of the car, right? So you're at the car, you're not expecting a question all of a sudden. And the example we always used to use was Charles Rusnell here in Alberta. He's kind of a uh, <clears throat> interesting politician, you know, a political reporter. He, he comes in, he has his agenda and he, he smacks, you know, smacks you right on top of the head with whatever his question is going to be. So you practice that style. You literally practice that style. Now, how is that different than a uh, world leader coming in? It's just situational, right? The world leader comes in and you're all of a sudden on camera. You've still got to respond in, in your character and what it is you're trying to, to, to carry forward. You are still showing the character that you want to be. Keep in mind that these prime ministers, these premiers, these ca- counselors, these MLAs, MPs, MPPs, none of them. None of them are actually the person we see on TV, right? The prime minister Mm. in that situation was playing the role of prime minister at that moment. And he was able to respond in prime ministerial role. And I think that that's just him having years and years of experience. Whereas I don't think he would have been as successful at doing it, Mm. um, you know, had he not, I mean, ironically, had he not faced off against Brasso. I think that that's actually an excellent point, Corey. You know, this is a man who's been in hand-to-hand combat and is harder to intimidate because he actually trained hand-to-hand combat. He's harder to intimidate because he has trained in theater. He's trained in the art of response, the art of appearing powerful, maybe when you're not feeling powerful. And I think that that's, that's all training and making sure that you're ready for whatever's happening.
2: Well, Carter, look, it's, would not, you, just, it's gonna, not just theater and fighting, though. He's yeah. won three elections, mm-hmm. and during those elections, there were very contentious times. Experience matters, too. I, I'll go back to, I don't think 2015 Justin Trudeau would have handled this, and I actually think even if he had done the exact same thing in 2015, it would have come off different. It would have mm-hmm. come off a lot more wet behind the ears. But when you've got seven years of experience, not only do you have a certain staff there, but your, your audience thinks different things of you.
0: Mm-hmm. Maybe I'll ask you guys this to finish off. Uh, If you could each choose one professional development opportunity for your political candidates that you work for or you have worked for, and this is a universal one, right? So don't think of a specific candidate. But if you could say, wave my magic wand, go do this course, go do this professional training what would it be, and, the, and I jump off a question, not to put your the thumb on the scale for Carter, because improv clearly seems like one of the answers Carter might give, and, and maybe that is your answer, Carter. But I'm curious as it relates to politicians and your ability to mold them, especially in light of moments like this. What would that be for you, Carter? Maybe I'll start with you and then close off with with, with you, Corey. If there was one professional development if they could only take one, what would it be for you that you'd make sure that they'd have uh, in in their belt as it relates to the function? of being a, a, a political leader uh, in, in, in this country.
1: I'm going to make mine simpler than just improv, because I think that improv mm-hmm. is too broad. I would go with status play because status play is when you, you know, when you're, when you kneel down beside the, you know, the woman in the wheelchair and you put yourself below her and you're listening to her when she's explaining to you her, her life story, or you, you go up to the new parents and you tell them your stories and you listen to their stories. I mean, it's more than just empathy, right? I mean, I think that what we interpret that Mm. as is empathy, but it's actually a status technique where you're putting yourself into a, a more diminutive role sometimes and a more expressive or stronger role other times. And that status play, people don't even understand how it's working on them. And you don't want them to understand how it's working on them. You want them only to see the power or the the fragility, or the you know whatever that relationship is, you're trying to communicate at the one time. So it's not just an improv game. It's about putting yourself into the status that maybe people don't expect in that particular moment. I think this is one of Joe Clark's great weaknesses. The man always had like always stood ramrod straight, always was fiddling with his his um, French cuffs. You know he didn't have the ability to put himself into.
0: He was always the Prime Minister. Always the former Prime Minister of Canada,
1: even before Mm. he was the Prime Minister of Canada. Um, And I think that that was detrimental to him and his ability to interact with, quote-unquote, real human beings.
0: Yeah, that's fascinating. Corey, from your perspective, if there was a, a magic Corey Hogan wand, the Corey Hogan... Ah, uh, consulting one for political candidates. What would you tell them is the is the one professional development thing you you would force them and make sure that they go through? What would it be for you?
2: So Carter gives a pretty good answer for the general candidate, right? Like yes. if you want to be an MLA, a counselor, an MP, I will say for leaders, I I have an entirely different answer, mm. and, and it would be general management or HR. It's how to lead people. And even if we want to keep it anchored on this conversation that Justin Trudeau had with G, you mentioned that Katie Telford was right there, Steve. I, I believe right? she. I believe she was. Yeah.
0: I. I have to watch the video again. Even, I haven't. It since doesn't it
2: even out. matter. Yeah. You know, the point would be we define these people not just by who they are, but the people they surround themselves with. Yeah, right? sure. For good and for ill, that that can you know that defines their destiny. And and so you get the job of leader because you're good at those status plays, as Stephen put it. You're good at the theater of politics. You're good at the glad handing. You're good at the rubber chicken circuit. Those are the skills of an MLA or an MP. But the hard pivot to leader is really quite something, or even a leadership candidate, because where most leaders I have worked with have failed, I would say most, it's the building of the team. It's the Mm. managing of their caucus. It's making the right hires, knowing how to delegate, knowing when to lean in, and knowing when to lean out. And, And this is not just about politics it's the peter principle we make people managers because they're good at their job and then we ask them to do an entirely different skill set of course but governments live or die based on the size of the team and the way that the team operates and how things flow and so for me i think politicians are good at politics i think what they're bad at is the management the unsexy parts of the job and that is the thing that i wish more political leaders had training
0: I want to spend an entire episode at some point talking about why political leaders have historically—and this is going to be a broad brush—but I'll, I'll, you know, say it anyways. Have been so poor at building teams, and 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 it makes you wonder around when a campaign or your political career focus so much on you, do you even have time for the we as it relates to the to the broader conversation? And we'll, we'll stress test that later. We'll <laughs> move it on to our next segment. Our next segment. Smile. Are you sure you want to be on candid
1: camera?
2: Oh, thank you. Thank you. It's a, new, sure.
1: it's a new thing.
2: It's a, it's a new thing. That's a When you listen, is so, that, when you is listen that, to yesterday, okay.
1: it's probably what you learned.
2: It'll make sense. Is
0: that, yeah. a, is that a group <laughs> of people on a Flair Airlines flight clapping? <laughs> you know the type of people fly Flair Airlines? Probably the type of people who clap. Okay? At every landing. You know those Wouldn't people, you?
1: Carter? I'm just saying. I, I mean...
0: <laughs> <laughs> I have gotten over the miracle of of, of modern flight no, like two weeks ago. Everybody okay? would. Everybody's okay. over That's it fair. except the people I've who stopped. fly Flair. Carter, our next segment is Smile. Are you sure you want to be on Candid Camera? Stephen Carter, the Premier of Alberta, Danielle Smith, Mm -hmm. just to remind folks, that is our Premier. Tomorrow, Tuesday night, we'll be giving a televised address, a state of the province-like address, 6.30 p.m. CTV, global news, as well as online. Stephen Carter, I want to talk to you. I want to talk to both of you about the tactic The strategy and tactic, I should say, of the televised address. Uh, We have seen it be used. There's a few memorable televised addresses in in the last decade in Alberta politics. I can think of the the famous uh, Alison Redford one, and I can think of the famous Jim Prentice one, some might say, beginning of the end. But Carter, let me start here. Is the televised address a doomed political tactic in Alberta? Let's start here. Let's let's go on that.
1: Oh, no, I don't think it's doomed at all. I think it's an actual fantastic way to control your message structure. Um, You know, you you get it once or maybe twice. It is not something you can do daily or weekly. Uh, And I'm looking forward to Quarry's point of view uh, as one of the people who would have had to organize these uh, as opposed to, you know, the. The view that, that I had is just, uh, I was uh, peripherally involved with the Allison Redford uh, bitumen bubble um, experiment that we did. Uh, that's where the, the the phrase bitumen bubble uh, coined by Stefan, what was his last name? But it was a um, uh, kind of-
2: You're so painful. What? Yeah. But you know, this is it's an interesting point. We'll have to get to that because that one was outsourced to a company. Yeah, I
0: want to talk about that,
1: too. Oh, you know, really? how, how okay. these are done, the this mechanics of it. Yeah. Um, but this but. is, but we, um, you know, bottom line, the, the, the technique and the tactic um, are very powerful. Uh, what you choose to say at it, you can undermine yourself very quickly. Because much in the same mm. fashion that you, you're now getting an audience of, um, I don't know that it's much more than an extra quarter million people who are going to be watching it. On global and CTV at the time that it's broadcast, maybe it's a bit more. Corey may have more uh, recent data on that, but all, you're going to be the talk of the town the next day because the news is going to cover it. Everybody's going to be focused on that one moment in time, and that one moment in time can can make or break you, as you alluded to with Jim Prentice and and even Allison Redford. Uh, I I thought that Allison, we I thought we did very well with Allison, um, but that could be also pointed to as the beginning of the end.
0: Corey, is it, a, is it a doom tactic? I'll ask you the same question I asked Carter. Is it a doom tactic in this province?
2: No. Uh, can I tell you the main reason why I think the tactic actually makes a great deal of sense? And and we can talk mm. about whether the best way to deliver it is through CTV and Global. Um, I can tell you in my time at the government, we did the same, right? And in fact, uh-huh. I think Global produced them at least one occasion for us because, you know, they have a certain skill set and then then you're able to kind of distribute it to whoever you need and you can use it online. But there is a there's just kind of a feature in the parliamentary system that makes something like this more necessary than even in the United States context, right? So we call this the State of the Province, and that's uh-huh. because we're drawing a parallel to the State of the Union. Well, the State of the Union is an address by the President of the United States to Congress. Uh-huh. The parallel, the actual parallel here in Canada is the Throne Speech. One big problem with the Throne Speech, if you're a politician. You're not the one giving the speech. Yes. Right? Indeed, it, It's being done by somebody. Familiar. Someone's yes, mother-in-law yes, you has are. hijacked the process. Yes. <laughs> and the way they deliver that speech is going to affect how those clips come out. It's going to affect the way that it's packaged and as a result, the way it's received. And so the appeal of the State of the Province Address, if you're the premier of a province, is it's your opportunity before the throne speech to put it in your words and with your spin, and you're also not stuck to this very kind of formal Westminster system where you can't put anything overly, not even partisan, I mean, political in the small piece and political in the voice of the uh, of the vice regal representative here. So having something produced where it is you as the premier telling the story of that session that's about to come up, the story of the government that you're going to lead, is um, is really nice. It also has another benefit, which is the throne speech is all about the bills that are coming, right? And we used to tie ourselves in knots creating a bill. Like it was just, anybody who's worked in government, this will just, you bring you back sweats of what's bill one going to be, right? Mm. And you would often have, go ahead and go look in your province federally, look at what the first bill is. I guarantee you at least 30% of the time, doesn't even need to be a bill. It yeah. could be a reg, could be a policy of government. It was turned into a bill just to say, this is our first bill. Mm-hmm. Because you are locked into only being able to talk about the bills. And so the the state of the province also gets you out of that box. It allows you to say what you want about what you want. And, and there's some real strength to that. So um, I don't think the tactic is going away. I think the tactic has already begun to morph. I can tell you the streams of these in my time in government, I, I led government communications for almost four years uh, between Premiers Notley and Kenny. The, the stream version of it was growing in importance and the television version was shrinking.
0: In mm. Carter, talk, so, so if both of you are saying that the tactic isn't doomed. Is the tactic appropriate where Daniel Smith sits right now politically in this province of Alberta? Oh, yeah, 100%. Absolutely.
2: Like,
1: In a heartbeat, it's, it's, this we is do the this. perfect time to do it. Corey Cor- yeah. and I actually are now advising Danielle Smith, and we've decided <laughs> that she should do this.
2: <laughs>
0: you folded like a cheap tent, both of you. No, it's uh, not a fold. Yeah, that was just...
1: Zane, there is no other sign that says, okay, you're Rachel Notley right now, and we offer you the mm-hmm. opportunity to have 20 minutes or 15 minutes on primetime television. Is she taking it?
0: Tell me 100%. Interesting question. It. 100%. Interesting question, though. Let's talk about that. And let's talk about if if this is a if this is a something you you got to do, Corey. To be clear on Carter's point, I want to make sure you agree. This is not something you can do every week. There's a limited span of how how often you can do this to be effective. Or do you not agree with that? Because I no, want to get I, a baseline. I agree with it. So okay. we uh,
2: hmm. okay. I don't know how deep in the weeds you want to go, and I know we have well, actually I, I talked gonna, about this. I was going to ask you about process.
0: Before. So so go ahead, jump into the weeds because I do want to get a bit there.
2: Go ahead. Yeah. So when it's on CTV and Global, I assume I haven't dug into the details here. The government is almost certainly buying like a ten minute block from each of those at the start of the hour. And then, yes, they'll report on it as news at like the 610 mark and and forward from there. Um, But if the government is doing it in a way where it's entirely their message, entirely pre-recorded, government's almost certainly paying for that placement. If it's a situation where... it's a news conference and they have the ability to ask questions of the premier afterwards, the government's probably not paying for it. And so there's often a bit of a negotiation because I've, I've defined two worlds, but there's often gray in between like, yeah, you can have a couple of questions or yeah, it's going to look like this. But generally speaking, uh, it costs money. So that would be kind of my first point. Mm-hmm. You can't afford to do it every week. It is, it is a fairly expensive tactic and it should be used sparingly. But the second point would be it would not have nearly the impact if you did it every week. And just think about the the premier's radio call-in show that Jason Kenney and then Daniel Smith was doing. Sure, the sure. first couple were news. Yeah, like they yeah. were talked about, like on Twitter, in the actual mainstream media, and just broadly reported upon. I bet you, I surprised you a bit that they were even still going on. I didn't know that Daniel yeah, yeah. did
1: it. No clue. Yeah.
2: So so I don't know if they're still continuing, but she's certainly done at least one of them. And and it's because after a while it just doesn't have that same punch. So you've got to use these things somewhat sparingly, or else they're just not going to have the effect you want them to have either. Carter, talk to me about how you mold them. So if you're saying this is the right strategy,
0: what does she need to do to make it the most effective use of the strategy? Give to me her playbook for what this should look like tomorrow evening. Uh let's 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 actually remove message from it because I want to save that. But talk to me about the scaffolding around it. How long should it be? Talk to me about how it should be framed. Should there be people around it? Is it heard just at the province? Are there others in it? Uh, how are they making use of companion websites and digital and clips? Like, talk to me about your framework and I'll get Corey to add or remove from that. And then we'll get into message what she needs to say.
1: Personally, I think it should be very simple. I think it should be the premier behind the premier's desk, um, much the same way that the state, you know, like... The the, you know the big announcements. This is a the presidential. Yeah, the big presidential announcement where you know she's reading off a teleprompter. It should be no more than twelve to fifteen minutes, and it should have uh, a singular style of topic. When people walk away from it, they are talking about a single message, and this is very different than the the speech from the throne. Where the speech for the throne, as Corey's alluded to, has this. Overall, this is what we're going to legislate. This is the direction that we are going to go in. These are the bills that we're bringing forward. And this speech should be about the problem we're trying to solve. The problem we are trying to solve should be encapsulated into one idea. Even if it's four or five different problems, right? We've allowed the bureaucracy to become bloated. We've allowed whatever she may be pulling, it should be one idea, not. Here's what we're going to do in healthcare. Here's what we're going to do in post-secondary. Here's what we're going to do in head education. Here's what we're going to do in seniors. You know, here's what we're going to do for the economy. It needs to be so
0: not a laundry list.
1: One thing, one talking point that everybody can remember and take back.
0: Corey, I'm going to come to you in one, uh, one second. I do want to have a quick follow-up. So Carter, oh. you've now introduced this whole concept of status games. So explain to me, what's the status game for, for a television address? Are you leveling with people? Are you formal and owning your position as premier? What's the most effective to, to get a message across in a televised address? When you don't have a constant tactile feedback loop, you have to pre-record this thing and, and hope it levels or hope it actually resonates. Give me the feel. like if you're advising it on that, are you is this the tone and the vibe of you on one knee talking to the to the young child and the family? Or is this you owning all of the accoutrements of being premier? You are the and premier. It could be anywhere in between.
1: You are the premier, premier right? This is why I'm not saying you're going to do. You know, you don't do cutaways to some one of the other ministers talking. You don't do. Um, you don't do other things. You don't do little vignettes of of you know people playing in the park or whatever or or showing the impact, anything like that. This is the person sitting behind the desk in the highest possible status positioning moving their head very little, looking straight into the camera, owning that opportunity to communicate directly to you. And I'm talking to you as the premier. I have the status. I am the person that occupies this office the same way that Jim Prentice or that Rachel Notley or that Jason Kenney or that Ed Stelmack or that Ralph Klein occupied this office. And we are speaking directly to you um, because this is important. And I would not interrupt your evening news for anything less than the most important discussion the province of Alberta can have today, and that is the same tenor and tone that comes from every state's address to their people. Whether it's the provinces, the state, in you know, it, um, President Zelensky in the Ukraine, all of them put themselves into this position where I am addressing you as this. Uh, with a very specific outcome. I am the leader, and I am telling you what the problem is.
0: Corey, add to that, remove certain things from that. Carter's saying pretty formal, short, singular topic, easily to understand narrative thread, owning the fact that you're Premier. What are you taking away? What are you adding? Um, what are you perhaps uh, contouring a bit from For what you heard from Carter?
2: Yeah, so I would argue that the throne speech, if well constructed, also has one theme. Right? You may do many things, but it's towards one thing. Well constructed, very few are. Yeah. But it would be, for example, getting Albertans back to work. Now, here's the ten things we're doing to get Albertans back to work. That would probably be a throne speech of the past, but you know that it's an example here. Similarly, I I think you can say a lot of different things as long as there's a theme to them. And so, look for Danielle Smith. I think, based on early reporting to have that theme be about affordability. And so if, for example, the Alberta Sovereignty Act comes up, it should be because we're trying to create the prosperity necessary to do the generous things or like, you know, they're going to bundle unlike topics together under a theme. And Mm -hmm. there will be some that seem like a real stretch to get into that theme, but I guarantee you they will still be there because you're going to want to set the table on a lot of different issues if you're paying for that time. And you're paying for that time. It is an ad. And one of the reasons why you want to um, to be sitting at the desk in the premier's office and looking so, um, you know, pre- premurial. I don't know. Is that a word? it a good We're gonna word. I like word it. For right I'm in now. now. Uh-huh. Yeah. Premurial's good. Yeah. Is it needs to feel like news, not an ad. So if you have a bunch of cutaways to you mm. hanging out with kids in a park, eating ice cream, doing the Vulcan salute. Like almost overproduced or almost like produced in a sense. If it feels like an ad, you're going to get more backlash than if it feels like news. Mm. And uh, you generally want Albertans to have this feeling not of paid placement, but the premier, to Stephen's point, interrupted the news because this is important to tell us about the things that need to happen. And I've got a lot of sympathy for the communicating part of it. I mean, we are a democracy. I said earlier, we don't govern in the dark in a democracy. Government does have an obligation to tell you about the things it's planning to do so you can react to it. I don't have a big problem with this particular tactic. People have a right to know, and the government has a duty to inform. But you have to be careful that it comes off as information and not spin. And, mm. and so that's part of the reason why you select the format that every premier does, which is I'm at a desk, cut away to a chart. I'm at a desk, cut away to a different chart, telling the story, but in a kind of a serious way. By the way, Changes to those charts on the last day, and sweating as they render, and you're just like, I've got ten minutes to get this to the uh, to the news uh, channel. That's uh-huh. that's a feeling I will not miss now that I'm out of government. <laughs> hey, Corey, t- t- give us before I go back to Carter. Give us the very quick version
0: of when a premier's office says go. What does someone in like your former position have to do to get that stuff off the ground? Because I don't think people appreciate, or I, I'm sure most yeah. do, but some may not that this is not going to be Danielle Smith, UCP leader. This is going to be Danielle Smith, Premier of the province. And there's a difference in terms of what things activate
2: when she gives it from wearing that hat. Sure. Um, I mean, in the most foundational sense, what I would say to any Premier, um, and they will come to you with varying degrees of like, this speech is ready. And like I said, it's often starting from the throne speech. So it's, Mm -hmm. let's turn this plus a few things that wouldn't work into the throne speech into it. So there's probably a bit of a brief where you're told, these are the kinds of things I want in a state of the province. They may come with the speech. They may ask you to do a draft. Either way, there's an exchange of drafts at different points as you start thinking about how it's going to be built. But fundamentally, and to Stephen's point about the singular narrative, it's about a theme, it's about a story. What I would tell to anybody making a presentation in any context, every presentation is a story. So think about protagonists. Think about antagonists. Think about the narrative you want to bring people through. Think about the feelings you want to leave them with. And at the end of the day, think of the moral of your story. And if you can do that, the rest of it should fall into place. Once you've got that, you've got the speech. You've already got an understanding of the audience. It's a general population audience, right? You know how they feel about you. You've built your speech. You start then putting on the production elements on top of it. Are there going to be charts that you need? Are there animations that need to occur to illustrate complex concepts? Same as if you were doing a PowerPoint at work, right? What mm. do you want on the wall behind you? Do you need a chart that illustrates, for example, with the bitumen bubble, Stephen? Mm-hmm. I can think about those charts because Hill and Knowlton was hired to do that work and I had to mock out those charts. So i got, I've done a lot of these, even outside of the time I worked in government. And, and, you know, it would be like lines of like, this is the price that we're getting for a barrel of oil. And look, look at it go down here, right? Mm-hmm. Oh no, my goodness, isn't this concerning? And so uh, that is all like bolt on stuff. But that is then you've got an idea. The premier then records it. the Premier may be making last minute edits. Both the premier, I guess all three premiers I've worked on in this sense have, have done a version of that. And then you've got to layer in the animations on top of it. Um, and, and that is sometimes where the stress comes from because often the premier will not be recorded until like the day before <laughs> because mm. they want to be using the most current information and you've got to layer in all of that production after the fact, and sometimes it requires.
0: Have you ever had to walk? You don't have to name names. Have you ever had to walk anyone back from what you thought was a terrible idea for, for something like this, either conceptually or messaging wise?
2: I don't think so. Um, Mm. Certainly it doesn't spring to mind where I think like, oh my God, thank goodness I talked Rachel Notley out of that, or thank goodness I talked Jason Kenney out of that. That's not really what happened Mm. because the message track is built earlier, right? You're working on that for months as you're talking about the story that's going to be told. And yeah, there may be elements you need to work in. And certainly this, we're talking about the state of the province version, but there were also ones that were in reaction to big dramatic moments, like all of a sudden, uh we don't have enough takeaway capacity for oil in the province and what does that mean right and then dramatic government action so curtailment was one that Rachel Notley had to do this idea of actually telling oil producers that they could only produce less and, and so there are you know there are considerations in all of that in terms of what the story is going to be and you give advice on it but the broad strokes are there like I, i've never had somebody come to me with a notion that's just like fucking insane and it's like we just should not do this like that has not happened it's more around the edges of i think this chart would tell that story better i'm not so sure about that
1: yeah i mean if there's going to be anything killed it's killed in the premier's office way before it gets to the public service no this is the wrong tactic for this person for this for this idea we can't just go out and say we're going to do a public address on whether or not there should be sky palace you know like it's just not going to work not that that ever happened but if that did, that would be a pretty good story.
0: Carter, tell me about, as we finish this off, tell me about the messaging for tomorrow and, and expand beyond what topic she should be talking about. Expand to what supplemental tactics look like on web, on digital, on, 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 you know, how do you get to proliferate this message out? How do you have maximum capacity? How do you build maximum capacity and maximum output with an announcement like this?
1: Well, I would imagine that what you're going to do is you're going to build it into the, this is the beginning of an actual communications campaign. So, mm. from the twenty second of November until the fifteenth of December, there's going to be radio ads, there's going to be television ads, there's going to be a web page that's put up about the premier's message. When does the state of the when is she bringing in the throne speech that uh a week from tomorrow, the twenty ninth or something like that?
0: 29th, I believe. Yeah, yeah. So the
1: 29th, she'll have the throne speech. That will, though, so there'll be pre communications prior to the throne speech. There'll be post communications after the throne speech. Everything will all be put into a communications arc. It will include digital. It'll include, and this is really Corey's area. Um, so Corey, I'm sure, is listening uh, to correct me momentarily, but it includes all the various mediums that the government has available to it. And in a perfect world, you've also, whatever she's going to talk about tomorrow, you've got third party uh, validators lined up. Right. So that was always one of the biggest challenges. If you're gonna go out and talk about you know the bitumen bubble, or if you're gonna talk about um tightening your belt or what the, the deficit situation looks like or blah, blah, blah. You have to have a bunch of other people that understand the problem that can speak to it um outside of your voice. So all of that will be prearranged by the premier's office so that you're able to, as premier, make this statement and then have everybody Uh, All of a sudden, all of your talking points are being echoed by your MLAs, your cabinet ministers, your, uh, you know, everybody up and down the line so that everybody has the capacity to hear this story over and over and over again. uh, So that by the time you're going into Christmas, you're not just singing Deck the Halls with Balls of Holly, Holly, you're, you're, you know, you're talking about whatever the hell uh, Danielle, Danielle Smith talks about tomorrow
0: boy expand on what Carter said here. Add add things from your experience. What's been the best use of expanded sort of tactics to to leverage and maximize the the blast zone or the radius of uh, of a speech like this? What would you suggest uh, on that, as well as uh, messaging for uh, for tomorrow going forward?
2: Yeah, so the third party validators is really the political side of the house. So I'm going to throw that mm. right back to the Stephen Carters of the world. But yeah, you you take this master product and you you cut clips, you create web content that supports it, you do social media, often using some of those cut clips and you do follow on paid placement. Now, one of the things that i mentioned is that the global and ctv stuff costs a lot of money. Yeah. Mm. So what happened over time, like it used to be like global ctv, cbc, you know, everything. But it, right? but it's
0: not coming from the party, it's coming from
2: the no, government. It's coming from the government. Yeah. But here's my point. The one that i think uh, we did with Jason Kenny, if i'm not mistaken, we only did global and we took the money that would have gone to CTV and we put that entirely into boosting it through social. So Mm. all of a sudden the state of the province is running on pre-roll for people We're we're promoting it via Facebook. And that's what I mean when I say that those web channels were growing in importance because that became almost the third leg of the stool from like a broadcast point of view, you put that same money into social and you're getting different audiences in more depth. And I believe we did even do pre-roll with YouTube where not even like the clipped versions, but there was like you could watch the whole state of the province if you happened to be, I don't know, watching a YouTube video and it happened to come on. And and, and forgot to hit skip ads. Well, no, surprising numbers actually stuck out for a few minutes there. But uh, you know, obviously that that was just one version and we were always testing those things and seeing what the pickup was. And and generally speaking, on the social channels, you would you would clip it. You would have the bundles, you would tell single parts of the story. But yeah, there's the whole wraparound game that happens here, and then there's um You know, there's the controlling of the conversation around it, both in advance, as we've seen even today, people talking about this upcoming state of the province, and it will be afterwards, too. Was what she said interesting? Let's talk about this again in different contexts and follow on activity from ministers and MLAs who are going to be then scattering out in advance of this throne speech to make sure they're landing.
1: Yeah, I mean... All the lesser light pundits are all going to be immediately talking about this, too. I mean, no one else but the strategists are talking about this the day before it actually happens because they don't have the balls. <laughs>
0: <laughs> so true, Carter. So true. What are we going to hear tomorrow, Carter? Tell, tell me Tell me the most popular word that we're going to hear tomorrow in Danielle Smith's uh, state of the province speech. Go ahead.
1: I don't have a fucking clue. I can't put myself in her oh. head, Zane. I honestly have no clue what she's going to talk about because... There's no one through line that I can see in all of her statements to this point, because I feel like she's a little bit like Elon Musk tackling Twitter, you know, everything all at once, all the time. Wasn't there a movie like that that just came out that we just tried to watch? It was very, was it's tragic. very tragic. Yes, it's, it's nothing horrible. to do with any of the two. It was it's nothing to do with movie. Elon Musk or Daniel Smith. I cried. Are you during kidding me? It was so bad. It's,
0: a, it's an incredible film. What are you talking about? Corey, what's, in the, what's the biggest word in the word cloud tomorrow for Daniel Smith?
2: I, I think it's affordability. That is certainly what the ground has been softened somewhat on. By the way, um, you will also see some, I think, uh, some leaks around this as one of the additional tactics coming on where people start talking about what's going to be in the throne speech. You think by tomorrow morning? Well, maybe by tomorrow morning, maybe it's part of their follow-on strategy. It is a bit of time between now and the throne speech, and they're going to want to have a sustaining mm. communications plan that will get them all the way there and control the narrative all the way there. Mm-hmm. But – Yeah, it seems like affordability. We're almost certainly going to be told that we're given direct money. You know, the Danny dollars, we've talked about them, the Ralph Bach equivalent. That's a real uh, likelihood, I think. But don't be surprised if there's other things. There's been some suggestion. And and this is, by the way, the fact that we know this is part of the leaking process that happens around this. This is all Mm -hmm. intentional strategy to make us want to tune in as Albertans. Um, But utility rebates and uh, elimination or reduction of the gas tax again. So we'll see more of that
0: we're gonna leave that segment there steven carter moving on to our final segment our over under and our lightning <laughs> run thank you thank you so much i
2: promise i promise this is not going away unless you make me stop doing it yeah, exactly.
0: another flare airlines flight has successfully landed <laughs> you know how many times we haven't clapped in yeah, between yeah, segments
2: it's
1: not been good
0: hundreds hundreds not been good yeah. i feel bad that for was, all I, of those
2: probably literally thousands
0: yeah. thoughts and prayers with all those flights
2: uh Corey, <laughs>
0: Why? Why, Corey? Why, wow. Corey, uh, t- uh, Corey? Tell me about your one sentence capstone. And I'm going to make you go first. Carter, I always make you go first. So you've got some time oh, to prepare. You. Corey, your one sentence of advice for Justin Trudeau heading into his testimony for the Emergencies Act next week. What is it going to be to you, for, for you, by you, I should say, for the prime minister? I'm good. I got it out there.
2: Less is not always more. Like What you need to avoid is looking like you are just trying to get out of it. You want to give the sense that you have absolutely nothing to hide. Your answer mm. is... Can't be expansive to the point of suicidal, but they can't be as tight yeah. as I would normally recommend in a moment like this.
0: Carter, what's your one sentence advice?
1: Um, the keep it, you know, the subtext should always be that it wasn't solved until we did this. We did this, and it was solved. So, you know, follow along in the lines of uh, Bill Blair today, who who I think made a very good, you know, study of. Uh, sure, it's all very easy to second guess this, but it wasn't fixed until we did this. That's the subtext. In, all in the that true. sense,
0: in that sense, Carter. Follow up question: Are you owning this now, as the liberals? Are you saying that you know your your first line was that we were requested to deploy the Emergencies Act is now a little bit more ownership of the Emergencies Act to the story of Blair and, and perhaps what we might see in the in terms of the Prime Minister?
1: Well, I I'm I'm I think it's a stronger line. I think that you know we were asked to come in. When you don't have Doug Ford out there explaining how you were asked to be coming in, um, you know, weakens yourself. Why not take that power that you pr- projected to uh, the Chinese and, and just put yourself onto the stand and say, you know what? If this could have been solved by others, they would have solved it, but they didn't. Mm. And and don't use that flip attitude. That That's not the right tone. But, you know, we were pleased to be able to make this decision. Uh, and we were very pleased that it was able to succeed and no one else was succeeding. So when asked in the future, um, you know, I think we have better protocols now, but I think that we can still make the decision that needs to be made.
0: Corey, same question to you in, in, in that sense. Uh, are you owning this more than you did initially? No.
1: Mm. No,
2: I, I actually think that's a big risk for the liberals. They They almost seem to be getting a bit cocky about this. And let's be clear about two things. One, not all of the facts are required to come out during the inquiry, there can always be other shoes to drop. And you've got to think about upside versus downside risk. And I just don't see a ton of upside in you being the person who owns this anymore. Carter may disagree. But I feel like it's just too far in the past. Yes, in the city of Ottawa, it might mean more. Yes, with certain groups, there's an insistence that uh, we absolutely must, uh, you know, continue to trumpet this. But the the facts on the ground are a bit different. And it shows Canadians, I, th- I think, becoming more indifferent about this as time goes on. You know, they were quite opposed to the convoy in March. Now it's become, uh, you know, just another political divide issue. So be careful. You don't fall into that trap and start feeling too cocky. And be careful that you don't think that this is a winning political issue if you are given all the credit for Carter it. Carter, finish off on this. I just
1: think that you – know, I personally think that there's a really interesting opportunity for the liberals to take a strong law and order uh, plank out of the, 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 out of the conservatives. We are the ones who said enough is enough and we stop this. People do not want – Protests like this on their streets—they don't want this type of demonstration—and the liberals were the ones who stepped in. And I also think that there's more in the law and order, and this is a different topic for a different day. But there's a lot more in in the law and order framework um, that the liberals have given away that can be picked up um, as a result of taking a strong position on this particular issue.
0: But, but Carter, and, and I don't mean to get into a long discussion on this because we are in the lightning round, and we do it for this you. This is course. the lightning round. Um, <laughs> But Carter, is the goal here to win or is the goal here to
2: neutralize and not lose?
1: The goal is always to win. And the only neutralize and Corey? don't lose when you can't win. Corey?
2: You always should be asking yourself whether this is ground on which you will win the big fight, right? Is this something that makes a government or is this something that's a distraction? But this is my point. I think this is a distraction. But this is my
1: point. I think that there is an opportunity to go after law and order in a way that hasn't been ch- hasn't been channeled. By the conservatives, that mid, that that, you know, there was a survey released here in Calgary this week that said people are uh, more concerned with rising crime rates, even though they're substantially down. They're substantially down, and and when people are concerned about mm. something that doesn't exist, that is a existential threat to government.
0: Stephen Carter, are you in or out on Elizabeth May as a new leader of the Green Party, the new old and new leader of the Green Party? Is
1: there any position further out than out? Can we go further away from, like, are you fucking kidding me, uh, is the response that I have. And, and to, the, to the whopping 3,000 people who voted for her, who the fuck are you? And secondly, why are only 3,000 people electing the next leader of the Green Party? This is embarrassing. Elizabeth May should be embarrassed for herself and the party.
0: Corey, are you around in around on Elizabeth May as a new leader, the new old new leader of the Green Party?
2: I just—it was inevitable. She was even when she was not leader, she was controlling too much of the organization. Mm-hmm. I guess I'm in on her actually being leader instead of pretending she's not leader. But she should really go. At a certain point, this has become the Elizabeth May Party, not the Green Party, and that's not healthy for them. And it's—it's not an area mm-hmm. where it's going to lead to future growth.
0: Corey, one to ten scale, Justin Trudeau's performance in that clip with uh, the leader of China, Xi Jinping. What would you give him?
2: I'll give it a seven or an eight. Let's not go nuts. But I'll also say he could have avoided that. Discretion is often the better part of valor, and he could have arranged his life and he could have arranged his political machinations around it to avoid that confrontation altogether, which I'm not convinced wasn't a smarter idea. Carter, one to ten. What are you giving Justin Trudeau?
1: I'm going to give him uh, a see i'm expecting more depth uh-huh. i'm expecting to see more range uh and i was a little disappointed um <laughs> to not see that i mean i don't even think he could remember All his lines joke to, to be honest i think he just did it physically instead of it, actually it? using the lines that were written for him <laughs>
0: stephen carter you find out tomorrow that there is an opening in group f for BC United, your favorite soccer yeah. team. So what you're doing as principal advisor to Danielle Smith, which is what you do, yeah. is you're leaving. You're leaving to, and you're saying you're sending one final text message to Danielle Smith tonight with a one-word text message as advice for tomorrow. What does that text message say?
1: Uh, one word? How about one, one word. sentence? One word? Strength.
0: Do one word and then I'll see... Strength. Okay, not to have to... Explain, explain it to me now. You have to explain it to
1: me. Well, I mean, I think that you want to be sitting behind that desk. Danielle
0: Smith responds and says, question mark. What are you responding back with, Carter?
1: <laughs> High status. Be a premier. Show the world that you're a premier, not just a, um, the person who won the UCP leadership.
0: Or she forwards you Carter's message with a question mark. What is the one word text message you were sending to Danielle Smith in advance of her state of the province?
2: Uh, I'm running the words mainstream and competence together as though I think it's one word because I think both are very important. What she needs to do is she needs to think about, um, the concerns Albertans have about her and the conversation that's been around her is that she's been extreme and that she has crazy ideas and she needs to show normal ideas and she needs to show that she can deliver them in a sensible way. We're going to leave it there. That's a wrap on episode 1016 of The Strategist.
0: My name is Zane Velji. With me, as always, Corey Hogan, Stephen
2: Carter, and we will see you next time.